electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the day after those mega cap misses, is the tech trade still poised to run or reverse? We debate the road ahead for that sector and the markets with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Jason Snipe, Joe Ternova, Steve Weiss, everybody's at the table. It's good to see all of you and you. Let's go to the wall. Let's see what the markets are doing. It's a bit of a different picture, obviously, than it was after the jobs report came out. And Dow had gone positive, and it's still uh, hanging around that line. Jobs report was super strong. You got good revisions. ISM services was really strong, too. So Weiss, Apple's now positive, right? Markets come way off its lows. And you're buying more of the Qs today. Steve yeah. Weiss bought more of the Qs. Why'd you do that? Uh, I'm trying to guess what the lemmings are doing and be a lemming myself. You're just jealous that, you know, you weren't in on that action, my man. Um, I was be in a part hater. of the action, but I did get hater. in late to it. I, you, no, I'm not a hater. I'm a realist. And I'm an analyst. Market's going so, up. Is that what's real? I, I think the market is still going to go up. Uh, look, I mean, I, I didn't count in this, even though I'm, I'm short bonds. I didn't count in this big move today, but I get it. Look, what I saw in the jobs report, which was, which, you know, is when I added to the monster, cues, was that I saw a monster. But what I also saw was that labor participation rate increased. And that was critical to me. And I think that's occasioned by a couple of things. It's occasioned by people running out of the money that the government so graciously gave them that helped fuel inflation. So I said, hey, my savings are being depleted because I spent too much. I got to get back to work. That's one thing. We know there are more than 10 million, more than 11 million job openings there, number one. Number two, our borders have opened up as well over the last year. Mm -hmm. So you saw a massive increase in hiring in the leisure industry. And uh, that generally has been fueled by by immigration. Um, So as they come in, um, you know, it's adding to that increase. And then when you take a look, while inflation is still obviously very apparent in wage growth, it hadn't moderated somewhat. But when you take the combination of number of jobs that were created and the wage growth that we saw, which I would term as muted and perhaps below consensus, that's very positive for the bullish scenario. What I see in terms of my outlook, and now it's more of a second-half outlook, I guess, and uh, which is that that's when, as I said yesterday, you'll really see the, uh, the Fed action, the Fed tightening cycle hit earnings. So, look, so do I think the market's overvalued? Without a doubt. Do I think stocks like, uh, like Amazon and Facebook, and um, maybe Amazon not so much, but Facebook and NVIDIA are in lunacy territory? Without a question. I mean, you take NVIDIA multiple of 92 times, and you can say it's trough earnings, but think of what the earnings have to do to grow into that. And it's nearly... Well, the earnings have always had to grow into that multiple, whether it was in the sky or 
coming back down to earth a bit. Well, except for the fact you're trading near an all-time high multiple on a stock where you still have down earnings. So it's not what it was earlier. As we heard from Amazon Web Services, and we've heard continually that data room, you know, data um, uh, center growth has slowed. Cloud growth has slowed, which which goes into into data centers. That it's just not there. So I think you got to you need more for that. Uh, look, I, I just think that people want to buy the market, and that's going to work till we see the next reason not to, which will be earnings. Did you sell Apple too early? I sold it on Tuesday. Did you know that? I sold Apple personally, and yeah. it came out of Joe T, in case anyone yeah, forgot. Did you, so it looked did bad. You, did, did it looked bad yesterday. Early? It looked bad today. And guess what? I think it's probably going to look bad for the foreseeable future. Hmm. Because what's happening right now in the market, and today's a classic day of bad news, good price action. Right. Amazon, Alphabet, Apple. Right. Buy the dip is back. When was the last time we saw buy the dip? Yep. Buy the dip hasn't been present in the market for the better course of 15 months. So at the beginning of the year, let's think about it. Who said, let's allocate towards high beta? Right. Let's allocate in the places where <clears throat> you were basically catching a falling knife. And that's what Apple was. That's what all of those mega stocks were at the end of last year. So now I think it's all about positioning. I think you're in an environment where no one really wanted to allocate in that direction. And I think people are trying to recapture those positions once again. I think it's going to continue. So I'm going to underperform because, yeah, I lean away from that. And I wanted more of a low beta approach. Are you mad? No. It <laughs> Don't be mad. Is. I'm the mad no, one on the show. Don't listen, be mad. Listen, it, it is what it is. You're not, you're not judged. When you're running a portfolio, mm-hmm. yeah. you're not judged by two days. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're judged by the entirety of what the portfolio does over a one, three, five-year time frame. Well, I mean, listen to what Brad Gerstner told us about, you know, these. He used the word tailwind to, to some of these stocks. I just want you to listen to what he said yesterday on the show, because it's so apropos to what we're talking about right now. We have a tailwind on multiples for all these stocks. Secondly, we have a reacceleration in revenue growth at Google, at Meta. And third, we have these companies, right, acknowledging that they have the opportunity to be more efficient. Those three forces combined are really powerful forces for 2023. Now, we're not out of the woods on any of those things. But I think you would be, you know, you would be remiss to underestimate the relative tailwind that gets created by those forces. So how would you how would you address that? Last year was an obvious headwind for multiples of tech. OK, given what the Fed was doing and where rates had gone. Right. That seems to have reversed. And the market doesn't believe that the Fed is going to do the full extent of what it has suggested it might. So isn't Gerstner going to be right? Oh, I, I think Brad is is not only going to be right, I think he's actually right in reality right now. But if you um, think he's going to, my point is, if you think he's going to be right, then why in the world would you sell Microsoft and well, Apple? Scott, wait a second. It's not like I didn't go and buy other things. It's not as if I shorted these stocks. It's not as if I sold them and I didn't buy anything else. I don't mean, so, I, 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 I'm looking at you and I say you, but I mean the collective you okay, of why, let, why would you do that mm-hmm. if you think that he's right? that multiples have a tailwind behind them, whereas it was a headwind in the past. So I think Meta is the first of the mega caps where if, if I'm going to find an opportunity, that's the one stock. I said that the other day. I've said to you over and over again, I believe that a recession in 2022 
was priced into the market. There was a hard landing for risk assets. We already priced in the recession. It's not a matter of now. Everyone says, okay, you're pricing, you know, it's a soft landing. You're pricing out a worst case scenario. So valuations had significant contraction Mm -hmm. for the better part of 15 months. And now you're seeing a little bit of a rebuild in the valuation because that recessionary scenario, it's it's already in the market. Isn't uh, I mean, the first and even if it occurs, by the way, it's in the market. already. But the first tell, so to speak, might have been Jason Microsoft reports stock down stock now higher than where it was when it went down. Meta may be the next greatest tell on the psyche, if you will, of the market. Had every reason to give a little bit back today. When yesterday was ridiculous. It's up right. like 20 percent. 100 percent. What's it doing now? Not going down. Yeah. What does that tell us? Yeah. So I think for me, as it relates to mega cap tech, it's been all about efficiency. Cost cuts have really played out, you know, in the market. And I think that's really where the focus has been. So if I look at uh, the numbers that we saw last night with Apple, Google, uh, and Amazon, they weren't great. Obviously, there's deceleration in the cloud business for mm-hmm. AWS. That was massive. But, you know, if I, if I pull off of what uh, Weiss said earlier, just the macro environment, you know, labor is, is strong, right? Unit labor costs have come down. Productivity has increased. Yeah. I think immigration plays a part there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. These are all positive tailwinds for the market. And obviously, the numbers that we saw this morning were, were really strong. So let, let's see how that plays out. But I think you know, the market still loves these names. Uh, the multiples have come down some, um, and, there, and there's some deceleration there. But I, I still think there's upside in the long run. I happen to like semis better uh, than I do mega cap tech, but that's, that's my position. You know Just what, in many special. respects, Jenny, all this was, it was anticipated. Did anybody throw you a real shocker yesterday? I mean, really? Judged by the activity and the price action in these names, it's not like they're, even the ones that were allegedly worse than the others are not cratering down. What does that tell you? Well, I think before, when you open the show, you asked, are they going to run or are they going to reverse, right? And I thought to myself, when you asked me that, when you asked us all that, well, you left out plateau. And so what I think is, you're right, Scott, it's anticipated. And so why not just think of them as plateauing from here? And I don't really know if Gerstner's right Mm -hmm. or not. So you know what I want to do? I don't want to play in that sandbox. Because to me, I think there's too much risk of actually that not being a tailwind. They're still trading, not Facebook, not Meta, sorry, I still do that, but not Meta. But the rest of them are still trading at valuations that I don't love. They're still trading at 92 times for NVIDIA, 24 times, 28 times. Those aren't things that give me comfort. So when I think to myself, okay, what else can you do? Well, here are some names from our discipline growth strategy, right? JetBlue, CarMax, Disney, URI, United Rentals, Um, Freeport, Uber, they're all up 16 to 40%. You don't have to play in that mega cap sandbox to do well this year. And this goes to something that you and I were talking about at the end of last year. I I think you said, you asked Joe, do you need them to lead the market? And Joe said, well, if they just plateau, we could, you know, as long as they don't tank, the market could be. No, I don't. I didn't ask that. I don't think you need them to lead the market. But the suggestion was coming into this year was that they're decidedly not going to lead the market. You want to be that elsewhere. tech was not a place that you well, want it to be. And I'm going to say, are they leading? Because look at the stocks that I just gave you. They don't have you to know? be leading, but they're not tanking and yeah, they're, they're not, not trailing by all down. that much either. No. Stop they going stopped down. going down. Mm-hmm. Right. OK. And they're looking for more reasons to go up than down. That's also different. I think I think you're right. I just think that this is a different year where you don't have to be in that trade. You don't have to buy those names. You can still do well. They are not 
they're not the only leaders. They're not, you know, where as for the better part of the past decade, if you didn't own those 10, the top 10, you were seriously behind the S&P 500. I think that playbook has changed and you have a wider repertoire of stocks to choose from. Your, your comment to Microsoft was why I got more bullish because I saw a company that there was nothing good about that report. There was nothing good about the guidance, yet the market wanted to come after it, and it did, and it took it up to levels that I think are actually expensive at this point. But that, that's like in the, the future. The Cooperman thing. I, I always, I and still remember what Cooperman action. said yeah. uh, when he was with me uh, on overtime yeah. many months ago. Look, you want to know when the market's going to turn? Look for the stock that has the disappointing earnings. It goes down and then it comes back up. Right. And, and, that's and that's emblematic of a stock that big to do that even before the other mega cap techs had reported. And, and that was my tell. And that's why I added to Google this morning to Alphabet, because the quarter was bad. There's nothing good in the quarter. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. They're going to come out of this phase much more efficient that the spending yeah, yeah. at all costs are are done for. Even Larry Page personally, as I mentioned, shutting down Kitty Hawk. Right. That's done. So they've got religion as they should. I think Meta is a more challenging story on the numbers presented. It's inexpensive relative to what they could do and grow. Forgetting about that revenues were down 5%, okay? But you still don't know what all that capex. They're still spending $90 billion a year on a vision that people may not buy into. So to me, and you still have terrible governance. Sure, but you, still, but, you, but you also have a core, to Gerstner's point, that in his words is printing billion-dollar bills in right. the basement. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, first of all, you know what the point is. I get the point. And they do till they don't as they transition the business into the metaverse. Well, you're going to lose their $2 billion daily active users? Well, I think they will come no. down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the profitability going up. will come down. They were up. They, they but it doesn't up. matter. They're they still up. They were up from up. 1.9 to $2 billion. I get that. Maybe but it's let's see what it is. First in, first out. But, but the meta was first in. It's the first out. It's uh, look, I think it's come too far too fast. My bottom line. Jenny. Uh, OK, so Jason said something really, really important. He said it's all about efficiency. And when we say Meta was up 20 percent, what was it, 25 percent yesterday, up another 3 yeah, yeah. percent. Ridiculous. Why? But not Jeez. really. And I'll tell Adding you why. 100 billion based upon a quarter where it was Here's down thing, 5 percent revenue. You Here's don't think it's thing. ridiculous? I'll tell you why. Because they said we're going to cut 4 billion from CapEx. We're going to cut 4 billion from OpEx. That's kind of tiny. If they then say, okay, we're going to do more, we saw how well received our efficiency was by the market and we're going to give you more yeah, and we're yeah. going to cut $10 billion from OPEX, earnings go up 40%. And that's why it's moving this way because there's that I hope. That. And, there, and the thought is that management, the board, is going to see this positive response to, okay, Brad Gerstner, we listen to you, right? You said you wanted capital discipline, we're giving it to you. Right. We're listening. We're paying attention. And so that's where the hope is the, that earnings yeah. get driven off of this. The, the NVIDIA point is, yeah. you know, that, that we were going to argue about what where the the multiple is on NVIDIA now. And Gerstner it just brings him up again because he added it new right. on the on the pullback that, that it's had. He also mentioned I don't want to play the sound because we don't have time to do that. But the idea of the more speculative tech stocks that have have risen and don't look at all of them in the same prism. You know, the NVIDIAs of the world are going to do are going to do well. Don't think that everything that's run yeah. is legit because it, it's still not. That. But the NVIDIA question, has that come back too far too fast? Uh, is it up so like 60 percent? No doubt about it. So when I think about NVIDIA, obviously, it's a totally different story, Scott, as you mentioned. I think about those GPU chips and, and AI and all that's going on with artificial intelligence. I think that NVIDIA is just in a 
in a space where no others are. And I, this price action is crazy. The multiple is crazy. But is it crazy? On yes, what metrics? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. The question Based is, on what? You, I, in my view, with all due no. respect, Scott, Based on what? you asked the wrong question. You said it's gone too <laughs> far too fast. It doesn't matter where stock price is. It matters what the valuation is underpinning it. What's the valuation today where, relative Ridiculous. to where it was? Re- well, what was it before? Well, at one point, it got up to 120 (laughs) times, and it dropped down to still ridiculous levels at 55 times. What's what's the right number then? Uh, Well, let's see. If the semi... I won't give you an exact Don't point. Don't filibuster uh, me. What's the right I'm number? I'm not then? filibustering 34 you. times. That's the right number. Thank you. You're I'll welcome. agree with that. 34 <laughs> times, Scott. Double the margin. Who knows? I can, tell you it's Fair I can tell you it's not 80. I can tell you it's not 70, 60, yeah. 50. It's a semi-chip company, number one. 90%, and I got, I've been talking to some AI people because of companies we're investing privately, mm-hmm. 90% of all AI applications fail. Or they're bullshit. Everybody says, I've got AI. When you take a look at actually what AI is that's working, it's limited to a few companies that actually have the talent to, to actually have AI work. So you'll see them come and go. And by the way, do you think AMD, Lisa Su, is a great CEO, is sitting by saying, I'm going to cede that entire market to NVIDIA? That's yeah. the conversation yesterday from it's Josh and Brad. They're the only ones that could do this. That's never been well, true. Pay up for the, That's never why been true in the history. Why wouldn't you pay up for the leader? I think you are. The question is, what do you want to pay up? I don't want to pay up to 92 times. But I mean, you, you don't have to. I think to. Brad had a great trade. Now it's time to take the money off the table and say, I'll wait for it to come back down because it will. But I mean, that's why you don't own it. But that doesn't mean that everybody who's buying it here is a fool. Uh, I think time will tell. <laughs> I think time will tell. I think it's foolish putting money in at this level. Absolutely. First of all, the company's not exactly executed well over the last year. Up until last year, it was all straight up. Now we now the tide's coming out, and we're seeing that, okay, in challenging economic environments, maybe you can't execute that well. Maybe it's time to take off that leather jacket, Jensen Wong, and maybe it's time for people to stop naming their dogs after Jensen Wong <laughs> and say, you know what, you're a great CEO, but you're not the second coming. All right. Well, there's the stock. It's up 60 percent in three months. Was that mad? You got it. That's how you be mad. Well, you did. You did. You did drop the B word in there. Uh, I don't even think you realized. I saw your eyes rolling back. You didn't even realize. He didn't even realize that that he did it. I did did realize. I said for effect because, you know. That's what you do. It worked. It worked well. It worked. That stock doesn't look like that. Let me throw the chart. That doesn't look like that if the chart of the 10-year didn't look like it does. Or that the right? value of the U.S. dollar peaked. And yep. that, you listen, In it's September. peak inflation, it's peak dollar, <clears throat> and it's peak yields. And I think that goes to the thesis. Can, can you sit here now and say, which was the thesis coming into the year, the market's going to return to the October lows at 34.91 for the S&P? I, I don't know, unless there's an exogenous shock. How does the market go back to the October? I don't know if the Fed, you know, goes crazy and does more on that. that, Well, I don't know. Let's bring in former Dallas Fed President Richard Fisher. I know he's been (laughs) listening to our conversation. I hope he has. Um, There he is. It's nice to see you again. Um, Are they going to go? Is the Fed going to go crazy here? I mean, what what are they going to make of this jobs report? Inflation's coming down. Maybe they're looking at the wrong thing. Are they fixated on the wrong thing? I keep hearing people say they're looking at the wrong thing. Obviously, so far, they've been looking at the right thing in terms of employment. And total comp is still higher than they would like. That's the feeder for inflation. 
If you watch, I always watch uh, Jay Powell at his press conference. I know him as a friend, but I watch his body language. And if you watch what he was doing, where he stopped reading from the book of his briefing notes, looked right into the camera to the questioner, and addressed the inflation issue and the components of what they're looking at with some passion, this is deep in his crawl. And I think what just happened here with the unemployment rate going down so low, with 11 million jobs now open, um, just firms up his view. And I, we're living in a 4% world. I have said repeatedly, I think including on this show, that there's a real possibility that they take the terminal rate above 5%. But we just have to get used to that. And that just changes the way you apply multiples and valuation and the way you deal with uh, the present value of holdings. And I don't think they're going to stop here. I think they've got a couple more quarter points to go, and then I think they'll hold. And I a couple think more. the odds of their cutting this year mm-hmm. are very slim. So, very you, slim. so the market's got it wrong. The, the market is getting it wrong. The market so far has gotten it wrong, and it's early in the year. But I wouldn't, don't bet against the Fed. That's an old rule, and I would continue to adhere to it. It's How's just, that? you know, it's the, you're like the third person who spoke of Powell's demeanor as he was yeah. appearing and speaking to the press. He was calm and he was cool and collected. And, you know, a, as you s- suggested, he, he, he was. I mean, that's because he thinks he's winning. He's winning, but he doesn't want to snatch, as Joe has said, defeat from the jaws of victory because inflation is coming down. It's probably coming down faster than they thought that it would. The problem is, is they haven't been able to crack the labor market and maybe they're not going to be able to. And maybe they should stop trying and just realize that that's the the key to the soft landing they hope to engineer. You know, uh, I sat on that committee for 10 years. But one of the things that's beaten into you is don't make the mistake of the 1970s. And if I'm absolutely convinced what they don't want to do is now make two big mistakes. Obviously, the first was the transitionary inflation argument, which is kind of silly. Uh, that had egg on their face. And now the worst thing that can happen is for them to stop early, have inflation rear its ugly head again, or not come down sufficiently. So I do think, guys, that they are going to err on the side of doing too much if they, if they err. Uh, they have a very strong labor background here. Remember the dual mandate that they have on labor and employment, rather, and inflation. And there's no way, I think, no way on earth that this chairman wants to go down in history of having made two big blunders and look like an Arthur Burns. I sure. But, his, so, uh, you know, r- respectfully, uh, I would say that his credibility is not our problem. Like if, if he blew it the first time, just get it right this time. His you know? credibility is essential in order for them to do what they're supposed to do as a central bank vis-a-vis the real economy. And the market is an emotional mechanism that comes and goes. Mr. Market is very schizophrenic on occasion. But the job of the Fed is to deal with the real economy. And if you do it right, then the markets will prosper. And that's the mentality you have when you're sitting at the table. But how do they know it's too early to stop? How do they know? You don't. They haven't even it's- given it time to filter through and, and, and figure out exactly what the impact of what they've already done is. That's the greatest risk that They're, they have. That's true. And none of us know the formula anymore because we don't know what the adjustment time is, the lag 
on monetary policy impacting the real economy. So I'm sure and I know that they have discussed this. They've got formulae and equations. But in the end, guys, it's just human judgment. It's 19 earnest people sitting around the table trying to apply their best judgment as to what the right thing is. And you got to give them some credit. They have been signaling openly before every meeting and well in advance what they're likely to do through the Wall Street Journal and other leakers, other whisperers. And I think it's given the market plenty of inf information in advance. You're not going to see what happened with Ben Bernanke in 2013 when we had the taper tantrum. And you're not seeing the kind of mumbling that Alan Greenspan was such a master of or the lack of information under Paul Volcker. This is the most transparent FOMC I've ever seen. And I think that's what the market just has to deal with. Wow. And instead of saying they're wrong or they're right, that doesn't do any good. They're going to do what they need to do to fulfill their mission. And I actually think they're doing a good job. Others do so as well. Others do as well. <laughs> Others do. Others do. It's just simply a matter of, of whether that's still going to be the scorecard, that they, they're doing a good job, they did a good job, or they're going to blow it. And the market seems oh, to suggest we'll that they're not going to do what they, they suggest. And you know what? They might not have to. And that's going to be the, the, the great tell. Well, um, there's nothing we can do about it. They'll do what they have to do or they feel they have to do. And history will give them the verdict. Yeah, but I can no say doubt. this. This man is in his third year, three years to go. It's his second term and last term. He should be guided by what he thinks is the absolute right thing to do, not positioning for something else. And I believe that's the path that they're on. And the FOMC is fully supportive. He's getting a full mandate from the rest of the committee. That's a pretty good thing. All right. You were in the room where it happened. Uh, <laughs> one, at one time. I, I really loved our conversation. I appreciate you being here. Richard Fisher, we'll see uh, you soon. I appreciate you guys. Thanks right. so much. Yep. yep, you take care. All right, oil. It's under pressure today. It's weighing on the energy sector. It's the biggest laggard this week. We're going to hit a move Jenny is making in that sector next. We're back on the Halftime Report in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started.
All right. Energy sector is down 1% this year following a huge 2022. Just one of those things that's been going on in the market, right? The leaders are the laggards, the laggards are the leaders, uh, for starters. Now, you have been selling Chevron through what is a long process, right? Mm -hmm. Taking into account taxable accounts and otherwise. So you're selling Chevron. You're going to be out, right? right? Mm -hmm. And you're putting that money where? We've been adding it to Pioneer. So actually, I started this process probably almost a year ago, where for new accounts, I stopped buying Chevron and started buying Pioneer. Now, this is for our dividend income strategy. So as, as Chevron's done you know, better and better and better, even though the dividend's been great, the dividend yield has decreased. Right. So now we're at about three and a half percent. The objective of the portfolio is to maintain a five percent or better dividend income yield. So we started buying Pioneer. And then towards the end of last year, for because there was a huge capital gain, what I did was I sold Chevron. And we did talk about this a little bit um, Mm -hmm. just in December. Mm -hmm. So I sold Chevron for all of the accounts where there wasn't going to be a huge um, capital gain. So the tax free accounts, the IRA accounts, and then replaced it with Pioneer. And then right at the beginning of this year, I sold Chevron out for the taxable account so I can deal with offsetting that capital gain throughout the year and have been starting to replace it with Pioneer this year hoping that Pioneer would come down a bit, which it actually has. I don't know if it'll be today, Monday, mm-hmm. but we're going to continue to add is Pioneer the, to The this bottom process. line here, though, is that you will be out of Chevron, Chevron and into entirely Pioneer. and into Pioneer. Right. And so this is not, to me, a statement on the energy market overall or on wanting exposure there. It's a statement on maintaining the dividend yield of the portfolio. So I've swapped a 3% yield for an 11% yield. Yes, it's a variable yield on Pioneer, and that's a big difference. But for right now, with the certainty that we have in where oil prices are and how they're paying out that dividend, I think it's certain enough that I'm comfortable with okay. that trade. All right. You're my guy on that, this, Joe, because you, you, you have both in the Joe T, I, even, I even through the rebalance now, that you just did, right? Correct. And I own Pioneer personally. I okay. mean, that's that's super smart. Thank it's a you. great set strategy. It's a great explanation. Um, that's exactly what investors should be considering right now. Overall, talking about what's going on in energy, natural gas down 46%. Crude oil down 6%, energy equities down 1%. What's the problem here? The problem is myself and everyone universally is overweight energy. Came into the year, that's the one sector that you wanted to be overweight. Now you've got to pull back. Didn't you go up to like 6%? For energy, energy, the energy holding, the energy weighting in Joe T is 10%. Oh, 10%. So it's like double. double, double. We're double the S&P 500. Hmm. So you've got this universal overweight positioning in an environment where prices are declining. That's a problem. That's a problem for myself and for others. What do you need? You need some form of a supply shock. Now, if you get a supply shock, whether it's weather-related or something different, then you've got the ability got, to see. Like, but you need so it right here. You I, need I, it right so now. I you, totally you have it. Disagree. I mean, well, you yeah. have it for 48 hours. No, I know no, what you no. guys are going to say. It's like you got that? the coldest for coldest 48 weather. hours. I know, but but you would. That's that gas enough. is down. No, no, That's no. Not enough. You do not need a supply shock to make money in energy. In the energy space, you've no, got. No, I said where the price is right now of oil and natural gas. The spot price. Where it is right now, 240 for natural gas, 74 for oil. You need something to make it bounce. I disagree. Why? I think that it can sit right here for the rest of the year, and these companies will mint cash. They've got capital discipline. They've got they've got right. just cash flow pouring in, and they're paying it out. Even if I get nothing from my Devon position and my Pioneer position, I'm getting eight percent from Devon. I'm getting eleven percent from Pioneer. What more you need? I, I don't I like need that. Wait, let me respond. I like okay. that. But you used, you used some critical words if it sits right here. Okay. The problem is the trend recently, 
I, I'd love for it to sit right here. It just, I mean, natural natural gas fell from nine dollars down to two thirty. No, I can't believe it. Oil was oil was seventy three. Mid eighties. Oil is now seventy four. The problem that I have. The problem that I have is if it continues to decline, right? Let's say oil slips below 70. I, I think, you know, maybe you have stronger hands in the market, understanding that you've got a dividend strategy behind it. But I think collectively, everyone's so overweight, that's going to lead to a little selling maybe. price. Yeah, here, here's what I'd say. I like the first part of what you said, which is great <laughs> and smart. The second part, <laughs> to me, is the biggest flaw in energy, in liking energy. You're saying even, even if oil stays at this price, they can still make money. The issue with that is, is as we've seen recently, the stock price adjusts. So, of course, they'll make money, but what's worth? So, your dividend of 11%. Or Chevron's dividend, which you sold and I still own. It's been a this terrible time. No, I'm going to give you. Hold on. Hold let, on. Let, me just finish. Finish. Let, okay. let him finish. Let I'm going to give you ample time to put words to the face that you're showing him right now. Right. <laughs> so Chevron's come down from the highs about 10%. What's that 3% or 4% dividend doing for me now? Three right? Half, yeah. Okay, it's done nothing. I've got to wait a year to collect that 4%, and the 10% hit me in a matter of weeks. But what we know is that there is a supply-demand imbalance out there. We know that they are super capital-disciplined, so there's not huge new supply of energy coming on. Globally, supply-demand is reasonably imbalanced. But there's speculation. But but, but but you can ride these prices down to $60 a barrel, $55 a barrel, $50 a barrel. They're still incredibly profitable. But but the valuation comes down, Jenny. I'm not sure that it does. Does. And well, it's also, already not, has. Also, if we think work, about the U.S. needing to resupply the strategic petroleum reserves, what have they said? They've said, oh, we'll do that around 70. So you've got a nice floor under it. I just think there's a lot of money still to be what, made in what the drives it? Nat gas shouldn't be where it is. Okay, I will. <laughs> Nat gas shouldn't be where it is. You know why? You know it what is? that means? Yes, I, I know what it means. Uh, <laughs> I can barely. I, I see how I'm doing that, Jason. Do you see how I'm doing that? I can barely see through it. But you see but, that? I can yeah. barely I see like through it. That means you're this quick. big. The, right here. The commodity overshoots you. on the upside and downside due to the speculation. More speculation than any other industry, and that's what we're seeing now. So I don't think you need a supply shock. I think as the speculators come out of it, they'll go back up. I do have to go, but you. Say what you wanted to say. I, I just, I watch every show. Didn't you just buy Chevron the other day and Bryn was, you, you know, know, challenging No, you? I owned Chevron before and I bought it on the dip after the earnings, which I sold part of that as a trade. And it's been a terrible trade. All right, straight ahead. <laughs> it's our chart of the day. <laughs> on one earnings mover, pulling back more than 5% today. And that's after seeing nice gains to start the year. We reveal it. The committee gives the take on it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here are your CNBC News update at this hour. New data obtained by NBC News shows that nearly 600,000 migrants who crossed the U.S. border since March 2021 have been released without being charged or given a court date. Migrants had previously been required to be assigned a court date before being released, but protocols have broken down as border crossing numbers have soared. 
ICE data shows that over 99% of migrants arrive at their first court hearing, but these new numbers show just how many are left in limbo without a clear path to seek asylum. Three bodies found in an abandoned apartment building near Detroit are believed to be three rappers who have been missing for nearly two weeks. A spokesperson for local law enforcement said they believe the bodies are rappers Armin Kelly, Montoya Givens and Dante Wicker. Michigan State Police said they have not been able to identify the victims or cause of death. And the Pope arrived in South Sudan earlier today in the final leg of his trip to Africa. The pontiff is hoping to bring international awareness to ongoing violence and the worsening humanitarian crisis in the region. Scott, back over to you. Okay, Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. Let's get to our chart of the day now. It is a letter F. Getting the grade of an F today for what it is doing, down 6%. That after a big earnings disappointment. Man. Um, all right. So. Who owns this? Joe, you used to. I did. I guess you're glad you don't now. You were stopped out of it in February of 22, a year ago. Not looking to get back in either. I just see so many challenges right now for both GM and Ford. Look, I understand the valuation argument for each of them, but there seems to be this environment, especially with Tesla, reducing the price of their EVs, GM and Ford having to spend a significant amount of money in their EV strategy, and what does that lead to? That leads to a contraction in profit margin. So I'm not ready to step back in there just yet. Farmer Jim, if you're watching, don't be upset with me. Well, he's a GM guy, big time. Yeah, what do you care about? What do you there's, there's one more thing to worry <laughs> about. You, well, though. well, you own Toyota as your automaker of choice. Why? Well, the valuation is very compelling. This is in our international strategy. strategy. The dividend yields um, excellent. The management is beyond superb. What I worry about on Toyota, because I've looked at it for the U.S. dividend strategy, what I worried about and what held me off here was um, was their expo- how much lending they do and how much of their revenues come from auto loans. And so when Ally reported a couple weeks ago, I was watching that very closely, their numbers were terrible, actually. Like, the stock did well, and I think it wasn't as bad as expected, but there is so much deteriorating credit there. And I think that's what we really need to watch on Ford, because they have so much exposure to to auto credit. I mean, you could look at Ford. Couldn't you look at Ford and say, well, it's cheap, valuation's low, dividend yields yes, pretty good? but with the risk of the deteriorating consumer and the deteriorating auto loans, I think that I need a much bigger margin of safety on that, so it needs okay. to be cheaper. I'd look at it under 11. Okay. Up next, we have reaction to Qualcomm's mixed quarter and the weak guidance there. Jason, he owns it, which means we're talking to him next. All right, we're back. I want to show you Qualcomm. There's a stock, 103% higher. That's following earnings. They do expect an 18% revenue decline in Q2. Jason Snipe, we said uh, you own it, and you told our viewers a little earlier that you like the semis the most. Out of tech right now? Yeah. What about this here? Yeah, so as it relates to QCOM, you know, that was one of our picks last year. We were a little early to the trade. Obviously, last year was difficult. You know, the stock's up 24% year-to-date. The, the guide was a little light, as you mentioned earlier, you know, IoT, you know, but, but what I would say about Qualcomm, they're continuing to diversify their revenue streams. Handset business is, is, is where the guide was light. Um, but I like this stock here. I like semis, period. I think they'll work down inventories across the spectrum, you know, data center with AMD and NVIDIA we talked about earlier. So I continue to like Qualcomm and also it trades at 12 times earnings, which I think is attractive in this marketplace. See, Weiss, guidance not great here, right? Yep. Another stock that probably had every reason to not look like that today, it's up 25% into the print. Yep. And it doesn't give it back. Yep, I agree. And, and that's the narrative I created around this market, Scott. 
<laughs> no, I, look, there's insatiable appetite. <laughs> there's insatiable appetite to buy. Well, you you and own the SMH. You're long. I do. I do own the SMH. I'm long the SMH. We've got on that's going to report on Monday, and despite yeah. Ford's. Uh, Ford's miss, I, I think it'll be a good number. I don't own it, but they're locked in for their production. They were for 22, we mm -hmm. saw how it performed there well, and they're locked in again for this year. So I think it'll be fine. All right, quick break. Mike Santoli on the other side with his midday word. All right, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us now from the New York Stock Exchange's midday word. Well, we've had an interesting session, to say the least. It doesn't do anything to upset this narrative that you've put forth over the last, you know, many days here. Yeah, not yet, Scott. Uh, I mean, I think in part it's the uh, ability for the market to uh, really not punish companies that, uh, at least not too acutely, that report subpar disappointing results. That's been a theme. Uh, I think the technical credentials of this market have improved enough that people are willing to give a little more of the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and then, yes, the macro numbers, very much an eye-catching uh, top-line payrolls print, as people have been saying. But the wage numbers and everything else within it, uh, I guess, and also the bond market reaction allowed the, the stock market to say, OK, this probably doesn't uh, cause us to sort of completely reprice what's going to happen with the Fed down the road. Uh, market continues to close each week of the last six or seven near the highs for the week. So that just shows you the cadence of things. We're, you know, we're going to head for a test. Uh, I'm not crazy about the idea that, you know, Apple should be the thing that lead, leads this market higher, to be honest. I think it's still kind of expensive and gets too much to benefit of the doubt in a lot of ways. Uh, as stock like, stock, a stock like Amazon also does, even though it was cut in half and still has 93% buy ratings. I don't think that's the place to look for where things are headed, but uh, this is where we are now. But you can look at it in the sense of, okay, Meta didn't give anything back from, from yeah. yesterday's huge gain. That's important. And Apple being negative and now positive is important, too, just in, through that lens. Right. That's right. Uh, just in terms of the mechanics and how the index works and showing that there's demand out there for, for people to, to, to grab for exposure. And, you know, as we talked about last night, the Alphabet and Amazon drops today are, are really just about yesterday's pop. It's giving the back or, or just a portion of it. Yeah. So, so far, uh, the traction remains. All right. I'll see you in a few hours for your la yep. uh, last word of the week. That's Mike Santoli. Grade My Trade is up next, and you can still send us an email. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. We're back after this. All right. Grade My Trade. First up, Jenny. Okay. Shirley in Houston, Texas. Based on Jenny's info, I purchased Lumen at 11 bucks. They eliminated their dividend. Should I hold or take my loss? What do you think? All right, Shirley, I'm not grading you. I'm grading me. I'm giving myself an F minus on that one. Um, the challenge for me on this is because I run this dividend income strategy, and that's the portfolio this was in, I am forced to sell Lumen. The problem is, is if you add up the private market value of their assets, the shares should be significantly, significantly higher than where they are. But I'm forced out because I can't hold a dividend stock. So if you want to take that risk and say, hey, the private market value is two or three times where the shares are now, I'd say go for it. For me, I've been using it as a source of funds all year last year. This year still, I'm not out of it entirely, but it's just a source of funds. I can't keep holding it. I mean, you are kind of what your record says you are, right? That old football coach said that at one point. I don't know. All right, Shirley, thank you for that, for that question. Jason from <laughs> Ben bought Palo Alto 168 uh, just around Thanksgiving. Should I stick with it? What do you think? Yeah, so I continue to remain bullish on Palo Alto. I like this stock here. It's, it's obviously expensive trading at 43 times. It's up 16% year to date. But I think revenue growth is 25%. EPS growth is 52% in the last quarter. I still think there's runway here, and I like the stock. Joey, Richard in Toronto bought tractor supply at 192.50, added more at 210. 
Does it have momentum? 230 right now. Excellent trade, Richard. Does it have momentum? Yes, it does. But what it has more than momentum, it has the quality factor, the strength of the balance sheet. Richard, I would put a stop in. Make sure that you don't turn a, a winning trade into a losing trade. All right. Weiss, Mark in Aberdeen, Scotland. Okay. Bought valet, 15 mm-hmm. bucks. Add to it or just hold it here? I'm not sure I'd hold it. I'd say it's a good trade right now, and I'd probably look to let it go with my view in the economy and the fact that iron ore prices have increased almost 50 percent based upon the China reopening. And I'm not sure that that's going to stay uh, in effect. So, frankly, I'd rather be a seller of this than a buyer. Okay. We will step away. Thank you for the trades. Thank you guys for the grades. Final trades are next. All right, overtime, last one of the week, 4 o'clock Eastern time. John Mowry, he's been really bullish on stocks, much more so than many others, most others. He's going to join me. Is he going to be proven right? We'll discuss that. Plus, I can't believe this, 10 years since Icon Ackman. 10 years. It was January 25th of 2013 from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. We got something special on that, too. I don't want you to miss that. Uh, We will see in a few hours for that. That's bananas, right? I can't believe that, is it? We'll be watching. Okay, Steve Weiss, final trade. What do you got? Rocket Lab. I put it out as a final trade uh, a couple of weeks ago before I actually bought it. I bought it. I added to it today. I added to it yesterday. Successful rocket launch, which is very difficult to do. LEO, no, Scott, not locks, eggs, and onions, but low Earth orbit. You like that. And they've launched as more, like as more, sa- more satellites than anybody but SpaceX. And right. they will keep Breakfast idea this weekend. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Joey T. Do you want to apologize to anyone for your language before? Or you leave it as- uh, you're very sensitive. I'll apologize to you. Okay, thank you. Right. T. Rowe Price, I said before, uh, I said last year, the asset manager. Hold on. Just- He's coming up right after the show. That's the hotline. <laughs> Our second derivative play on an improving stock and bond environment, T. Rowe Price. All right, Jason Snipe. Qualcomm, they'll continue to diversify revenue stream and they'll work down the inventory. I like Qualcomm here. Okay, Jenny Harrington. Coal stores, 5.7% dividend yield, still trading as if the consumer is going to lay down and die. And they just named Tom Kingsbury as the CEO. He was formerly CEO of um, Burlington and did a terrific job there. Who's got Disney? You do, right? Yeah. Next week. That's right. Right. We talk about this week, and this was the busiest week of earnings season, but next week looms large, too. I know. With, given everything that's going on, what, what are you thinking about here? You know, I think we're, what we saw from Netflix is going to be positive for Disney also, and I also think that with Bob Iger there, the hate fest is going to start to lift, and people will start to view Disney's earnings in a more positive light, and that should lift the share price. I think, it, I think if they miss, and he should kitchen sink the quarter, that then the optimism will just drive it past work. Right. I think you can plans. do no wrong. All right. All right, good stuff. Uh, Good weekend, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.